I'm Matt Bush with BPR News. I'm speaking with Dan Pierce. He's an author and a professor at UNC Asheville. Dan, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you, Matt. You'll be speaking uh, Saturday at Ollie um, at UNC Asheville about uh, your latest book, which talks about a community uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park that is no longer there. So tell us, uh, what's the name of the community and what was it before the park was created? Well, the community is Hazel Creek, and uh, uh, which is um, really, I guess, a watershed, basically, of the one of the largest creeks in the Great Smoky Mountains, uh, uh, which flows into now Fontana Lake, used to be, which is the Little Tennessee River. Um, and so, uh, again, yeah, it was a you know, fairly thriving, uh, kind of on and off, a fairly thriving community in the early years of the 20th century. And then, of course, was uh, when the Fontana Dam was built, people were uh, forced to move, and then the, their uh, land was condemned, and then that land was uh, turned over to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is, it is part of today. To refresh people on this, how many communities were there? in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park before it was created? Because there are quite a few, and some of the attractions of the park are going on these trails to find what's left of some of these places, like, you know, Cataluchi, for example. Yeah, I, you know, an exact count uh, <laughs> would take me a little while. And, of course, you know, there are communities and their communities. There were some, you know, pretty large thriving places like Cataluchi and the, and probably the, the best known, which is Cades Cove in Tennessee. But there are also the Sugar Lands in Tennessee, Greenbrier, um, Oconolufty in North Carolina, uh, Forney Creek, Hazel Creek, Eagle Creek, uh and uh, uh, and lots of other smaller communities uh, scattered around the area. So there are about actually about estimates of a little over four thousand people living in what's now the park when it was created that were that were forced to um, to sell their land uh, to the to the government and move out. So tell us about Hazel Creek. What intrigued you about it that you wanted to write about it? Well, um, you know, having a long term interest in the Smokies. My my uh, dissertation was on the establishment of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, uh, and then uh, uh, done a book on moonshine in the Smokies, and uh, written a number of articles. I served for a number of years, and I'm actually back on the board of the Great Smoky Mountains Association, which uh, runs the uh, bookstores in the park and contributes a couple million dollars a year to the park. So that's so I've had a long uh, very fruitful connection to the Smokies. I guess beginning when I first moved to this area from uh, Lake Village, Arkansas, in 1959, because back then there was no I-40 uh, uh, coming through, and so you you uh, most of the time you came Highway 441 right through the Smokies, and so that was one of my first remembrances. We actually, I remember, I guess the one remembrance I have was that uh, we stopped in Cherokee and. Uh, uh, my parents bought me a little uh, black bear, which I had for years and years until it pretty much fell apart. Uh, so, so from the earliest time that I've been in this area, uh, I've had some connection with the park and spent a lot of time in there hiking and camping and fishing and things like that. So it's been a it's been a love. And so when the opportunity came up, and actually the Great Smoky Mountains Association invited me to to write a book on hazel creek uh, i jumped at the opportunity and uh and then i started thinking about what i was getting myself into because it is a place uh, hazel creek is a place that people feel very passionately about 
and uh, um, and I knew that on a number of issues related to Hazel Creek, that no matter what I said, I was probably going to make someone mad. Uh, and so, uh, but you know, I decided to to keep on with it, and I'm and, and I'm glad I did because it's been a lot of fun. That sort of lingering anger really comes to the Fontana Dam project. Is that partly? But there are other issues as well. Going back, uh, you know, to the to some of the earliest days uh, of, of of Hazel Creek, and particularly into the early twentieth century, the the kind of the legacy of Horace Kephart, who um, well known Western North Carolina writer, who actually came to the area about nineteen oh three and and stayed in Hazel Creek for about a little over a year, and then that formed the core of his book, Our Southern Highlanders. And so there's a lot of controversy around that. There's, of course, the controversy over the building of the dam and the and the uh, uh, condemnation through eminent domain of the people's property, them being forced to move. And then, of course, the big controversy over the years has been the so-called road to nowhere issue. Tell us how that still colors, I think, a lot of the thoughts of the federal government in this region to this day what happened with those things that you just listed well um in particular the road issue well the the condemnation issue was one that um still lingers in lots of places and and people don't you know some people you know have do visit these places and they and and for one thing the park service up until recent years had kind of interpreted the history of those places as you know isn't it wonderful that these people you know kind of voluntarily gave up their land so that we could have this great national park and that's just not true because the these people were not happy at all about being removed and so um, the people who own the land are all dead now but there are people still alive who lived as children in these places who have very fond memories um uh, of the places and then their descendants uh, and there are a lot and there there's still reunions in a lot of these places and so a lot of the feelings uh, about that have um, tempered over the years but uh, but there's still some some lingering resentment over that the park service i will say in recent years has done a much better job of acknowledging the true sacrifice that these people made um Again, it wasn't voluntary for the most part that they made that sacrifice. Uh, the the other thing that kind of fuels that uh, resentment, particularly in uh, around Hazel Creek and in Swain County, uh, in particular, is the whole road issue, um, where uh, when the dam was the Fontana Dam was built, um, the people were removed because the road leading into the community was flooded and they were essentially cut off. And um, but uh, in 1943, uh, the Park Service and TVA uh, and the state of North Carolina and Swain County signed an agreement saying that they would replace the road. And so that has uh, dragged out for well, I'm not too good in math for, for how many years. Uh, uh, 70 something years now and uh uh and there is no road and although a settlement has been uh made only uh, a small portion of that settlement has been paid by the federal government so there's a good bit of distrust um obviously and again uh it represented on the edge the um 
they actually built part of the road, which really strangely, if you drive up from from uh, Bryson City by the uh, Swain County High School, and uh, in the road abruptly uh, you go about six miles inside the park and then the road abruptly ends at this very long tunnel uh that's the road is blocked before you get to the tunnel but you can walk through the tunnel and so it's really strange right at the park boundary is a sign that has been there i'm not sure how many years it's been there but um um and uh, which is redone every year that says, you know, um, however many years of broken promises, uh, 1943 to question mark and uh, in broken promises in uh, large letters. Or, or actually it says the road to nowhere and then however many years of broken promises, 1943 to question mark, which is still there freshly painted every year. And, uh, uh, and a reminder of something very vivid in the minds of people in Swain County. What was Hazel Creek like, and what did you learn about it as you wrote the book? Well, one thing, uh, you know, part of the, uh, I guess, controversy when you go back to Kephart, uh, because Kephart characterized uh, Hazel Creek in our southern highlanders as a place that was essentially locked in the uh, in the 18th century. Um, in fact, he, he, he uses the term that these people were essentially living uh, as Daniel Boone did. And... Um, uh, which was not at all true, <laughs> actually, when he came there, because by you know Hazel Creek had been settled, you know, very few families. The first family came in about 1830. Um, I figured out in the book that was an, another thing I thought might spark some controversy, but no one said anything about it. But uh, Moses Proctor was the first settler. He actually came over from Tennessee, uh, from uh, Cades Cove. And uh, he was a squatter for a long time because I, a friend of mine actually found uh, when he first registered his his uh, um, deed and claim to the land, which was in the 1850s. And so he was a good number of years as a squatter. So you had a few people filtering in, you know, not many families there before the Civil War. A few more came in afterwards. And then in the 1890s, uh, the community started to grow more because you had uh, the first industrial logging that came into the area. Uh, and then uh, a couple of copper mines. People don't realize that there are copper deposits in the Smokies as part of a chain that really starts in lower East Tennessee around the Ducktown area and extends into the Smokies. But pretty profitable copper mines there. Um, right before Kephart came to the area, those, those, the, the, the tambourine and the copper mines shut down. And so here is a community that actually had been a part of the Industrial Revolution. People were getting wages. They were buying stuff in stores, this type of thing. But then they had kind of been thrown back at that point. Uh, they'd either left the community or had been thrown back on uh, eking out a living, trying to farm very uh, marginal land in there. And so the community was pretty poor. Um, there were a lot of people in the community at that time because of the poverty of the area that were supplementing their income by making moonshine. Uh, and so Kephart, I, I don't know if he didn't realize what had happened or didn't want to, but, uh, but he really characterized, again, these people as, as having been there for a long time, which most of them ha hadn't been, uh, and as being untouched by the modern world. Well, they were very much products of the modern world because they were in the middle of a bust of an industrial bust in the area. So Kephart was there for a short period of time, and again, that image kind of stuck 
at Hazel Creek. But Hazel Creek was like, you know, again, uh, Kephart called it the back of beyond. And it, it, it was and is one of the hardest places to get to around. But even Hazel Creek, this very isolated place, uh, was very much shaped by the Industrial Revolution. And so after Kephart moves out, the Ritter Lumber Company comes in, and Hazel Creek almost overnight. And again, it, it had a had a boom period in the eighteen late eighteen nineties, uh, but it really boomed at that point. And so you had a town that just grew up overnight, practically around um, nineteen ten or so. Uh, the town of Proctor, which at, at one point at its peak had probably close to a thousand people, and there are other fairly sizable communities on up the. Uh, 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 up the creek and actually they built a railroad uh, up the creek that went almost to the state line divide uh, and a huge uh, uh, lumber mill there uh, with drying kilns and all kinds of -of state-of-the-art type of equipment so it really kind of goes against that image of this isolated community because you could walk right into Proctor jump on a train and within a couple of days you could be in New York City Um, and so this was a, a, a real boom time when uh, when Ritter Lumber Company was there, and uh, a lot of the people who have roots in Hazel Creek that this was the time period when they had family members there, you know, because there were so many people in there because it was a huge uh, hardwood timber. The Ritter was, you know, called the king of the hardwood uh, lumbermen, and he um, and had operations all over the southern Appalachian region, but this is one of their largest, and and um, and so, again, you know, you had railroads, you had all these, you know, you had a movie theater, you had all these things going on in Proctor, and it was just a, a bustling community at that point. Um, well, the practice then was, as they call, cut and run. And so by the mid-1920s, they had cut out the watershed, pretty much of all the valuable hardwood timber, and they took off and um, went to other places to uh, exploit the timber there, pulled up the tracks, and then Hazel Creek kind of has another bus period. And actually, most of the land at that, most of the people left. Most of the land was sold to an Asheville uh, real estate developer who um, – created a um, an elite hunting and fishing club there that attracted really all kinds of um, elite business people. Branch Rickey, the uh, uh, owner of uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, who's most famous for desegregating baseball by bringing in Jackie Robinson, was uh, came annually to Hazel Creek to hunt bear. And... Um, uh, and people came to fish, and this is when Hazel Creek became the the story of Hazel Creek became one as this kind of hunting and fishing preserve at that time. And so you had a few people, and then uh, and then you have another period of bust in the uh, early 1940s when TVA um, uh, comes in and uh, builds a dam. Uh, uh, there, which is the Fontana Dam, the tallest dam east of the Rockies, and. Uh, um, to provide electricity during World War II to the Alcoa aluminum plant over the mountains in Tennessee. And um, and what people didn't know, there were also a, um, a little crossroads community uh, in Tennessee that was rapidly being transformed 
um, the community of Oak Ridge, uh, which had massive electricity needs. People did not know why, but of course they were developing the atomic bomb there. And uh, so Fontana was very crucial. I, I love the, there was a sign there uh, at Fontana to kind of encourage the workers, you know, to work harder. And it said, said, said we are, we are building this dam to generate the electricity, uh, to make the aluminum, to make the bombers, to bomb the bastards. And uh, so it was just uh, – uh, but it was incredible. And, again, thousands of people came into the area um, uh, to build this dam, which was amazing. They built the dam in about three years' time. But, of course, then that meant that the people were going to have to leave. So – so to me, the story of this community is not of this static, isolated community. It's the story of a place that is being tr- transformed rapidly, particularly once you get into the 1890s by the forces of the Industrial Revolution in the modern world. So in that sense, I, you know, I disagree with Kephart and think you know, Hazel Creek is a very modern place in many ways. Fast forwarding to 2018. Um the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Blue Ridge Parkway are the two most visited in the park system. What is it about this area, this region, the Appalachian Mountains in particular, since both of those touch the, the, those, that range, what is it that draws people here? What is so, I guess, fascinating to people who aren't from here about the things that they see in these parks and in this region? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I mean, for one, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the parkway and then you look at Highway 441 and then the the spur road that goes up to Clingman's Dome is that is that feeling of um, of, of 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 being away from things and then the spectacular views that you have. Um, and so, I mean, one of the things when they were first um, talking about uh, making the Smokies, there were no parks except for acadia which is pretty small and actually had been purchased or had been the land had been donated by several um millionaires including the rockefeller family uh but that was the only park in the east and uh so they hadn't really taken on the whole thing the federal government would would not buy land and so they said if the states would buy the land and then they could turn it over to the federal government so they had to do a big advertising and media uh, campaign, public relations campaign to sell a park. And one of the things they had to sell to the country was that um, that these places had the scenic values that um, were commensurate to the Western parks. And um, and I think the more people saw, you know, they saw, okay, it's, 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 it's got the views. The mountains are not as sharp. They're covered in, you know, it's much greener. But again, the you know, the value, of course, the peak time of the year for both the parkway and for the great smoky mountains national park or fall and um and so um those fall colors you know are are kind of an additional attraction that you don't quite get you get the aspens and some of that stuff out west but not quite the same so this is something something unique um and then another thing that was important at that time and 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 is the fact that uh, the Smokies had some of the last vestiges of old growth forest um, in the eastern United States. There wasn't much left that hadn't been logged, but but uh, they they had um, some of the last vestiges of those places, and and that's really one of my favorite things um, is to get um, 
into some of these old growth areas and you have to hike away uh to get to them but that is there's something about it and i think people who are you know most visitors to the smokies you know drive highway 441 or 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 people drive the parkway you know and they stop at the uh overlooks and they look over and they ooh and ah and stuff like that you know and don't get out don't get very far from their cars but you know more and more people are getting on the trails and uh and and seeing what is really neat and one of the things that i love is those old growth forests and again that feeling of of um you know that was attractive to you know people like horace kephart you know that feeling of solitude of being away from civilization uh uh and and that's one of the things i love about the views themselves you know is to be able even like in in the evening to look out over those mountains uh and not see any lights um and not see any evidences of uh of human beings and i think there's something there that attracts people uh is and is nice and then you got the added attraction with the smokies and with the parkway you know is that they're not that far away from civilization so you can go up and you can look out and you can see this wonderful sight and look out over wilderness and then you can uh drive down the mountain to gatlinburg or pigeon forge or the other way and you can drive down to uh to Cherokee and go to Harris Casino, you know. So, so that is part of the attraction, though. I think that uh, that that you have this national park uh, in an area that's that's accessible to a large part of the American population. And I'm always, I don't know why I'm surprised because this is the original vision of the people that were promoting the park. They they like the natural aspects of the park, but the reason they pushed so hard for it was because they wanted it as a tourist attraction they wanted to bring in uh, one of my favorite quotes was from a knoxville um, auto dealer who who said you know if we build this park these tourists will come in and they were they will scatter their golden shekels in our midst and it's true it's happened i mean you look you, you know um you know you drive into the park and then you see these tags from all over i mean tons of ohio people I'm, i've been amazed you know the people that i've gotten to know over the years you know who've reached out to me from ohio you know who really love the park and come down here free or from mississippi or you know all over the place you know that people have this attraction so again that's part of the values you got this incredible large natural area but it's relatively close the attraction of hazel creek is a little uh different because uh there's no road and obviously in hazel creek and so you really got to want to go there and so you either got to hike about 12 miles or so or take take a, a boat across the lake and you can pay to take a shuttle or what i do is usually um I borrow my brother's or well I, I i recruit my brother to go with me and we take his canoes and uh, uh and go across the lake which is a lot of fun in fact um i well remember and i wrote about this in the book the uh day uh, one of the things i started doing from the very beginning when i get to the end of a book and i'm writing conclusion i always go to that to the place that i'm i'm writing about and just kind of experience it and uh and so we made a a a trip to hazel creek right before and with my brother and uh with my colleague evan gurney and and we uh we went up and fished uh 
run across the lake. And then we came back across the lake late in the afternoon. It was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever experienced. And so uh, that's the attraction of Hazel Creek, I think. Although, uh, one of the weird things about Hazel Creek is that the trail is pretty level for the first five miles or so that is, it runs across along Hazel Creek. And so you have these really weird things. Uh, they call them, they're different names for them, Hazel Creek buggies or uh, Hazel Creek Cadillacs. And these things that people build, uh, they're kind of like um, – I don't know how to describe them, you know, but they're, you know, they use bicycle wheels. They're kind of like big wheelbarrow kind of things, but made of real lightweight material. And you can haul a bunch of stuff in there, you know, so you can hire, take coolers, you know, with steaks and cases of beer and stuff like that, you know, which can be problematic uh, in a place like that. So um, for most people, though, it's the solitude, it's the fishing, it's it's that being in touch with, uh, you know, again, being in a place, you know, where you're really away from everything. I guess my last question would be, what's the lesson that we can learn from the history of how the park was created that you've looked at in Hazel Creek. And again, I, I say this because something you mentioned, this isn't that far removed from our history. It's only a few generations right. back. So what are the lessons of history of the creations of the Great Smoky National Park that we need to learn? Yeah, I, you know, um, one, you know, being in our, our current historical moment, um, I think our default position <laughs> as um americans maybe uh is that um everything's going to hell and we are are doomed you know global warming's gonna overwhelm us and 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 these are serious issues and i don't want to belittle any of that you know our political situation is is totally dysfunctional um you know we we are so polarized as a nation you know that we can't carry on civil uh conversation i think our tendency we have become so negative that we forget the the really positive things in our history uh and again hazel creek and the smokies are a complicated thing because there are negatives there there's no question about it you know that uh you know this whole issue of removal is one the road issue you know is an is an important issue and that and and you know, I never thought the road was a good idea, but it's a broken promise, you know, and, and, and that the federal government needs to honor. But to me, uh, you know, that uh, that issue, those words, uh, and it really came to me when I was writing the conclusion, those words broken promise, you know, is is, is what people remember. But but um, what jumped out at me was that Hazel Creek and the park in general are an example of a promise kept by the federal government which you know which 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 we all like to to trash in one way or another but um it is an example because the um the uh, organic act that created the national park service said that the mission of the park service was to preserve these very special places uh as it the language says unimpaired for future generations and that's hard to do and there again there are all sorts of complicating factors there because you know you can't just leave something unimpaired but 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 you know as much as possible i guess you would say and so i think and and, and particularly when you look at the smoke and what they were like and, and they do have these 
islands of old growth, but for the most part, this was an area that was devastated by industrial logging. If you look at the pictures, and if you see the pictures, the devastating forest fires that came, the mudslides and everything else that were, that, that were left over from that area, you see a devastated landscape. When you look today, you know, up from Newfound Gap or off Clingman's Dome or Charlie's Bunyan or somewhere like that, you look down on all these trees, and of course we do have dead hemlocks because of an invasive species. It's not a perfect uh, uh, example, but the, the thing that I see is redemption. You know, as here was a scarred landscape, and but through the efforts of people who weren't necessarily environmentalists, but uh, people who sacrificed a lot, and those people who unwillingly gave up their land, we have a place that is, um, you know, a treasure not only to people in this region, but to the country and to the world. I mean, people come from all over the world to the Smokies uh, and treasure that. I mean, lots of Germans uh, when you go into the Smokies. So I look at it that way as as, uh, as an example of um, the possibilities uh, for good. And I think we have to keep in mind, because we get so negative, that um, that we don't believe in any solutions. Um, and I, I think it's just a great story uh, about the possibilities of what of of what people can do, you know, when they want to cooperate and act together um, and create something really magnificent. Well, Dan Pierce, thank you so much for coming in. This has been uh, really illuminating and just. It's fascinating to hear these stories of the, these areas that are so close to us, and but the history of it is not that far removed from 2018. It's just very interesting, and thank you so much for coming to tell it to us. Tell it to us. Thank you, Matt. And just just one more plug is that you know with that with this wonderful gift, there come responsibilities to the present generation to uh, to maintain it for future generations. And so I just encourage people to. Um, Look up some of the cooperating associations that are benefiting the Smokies and the Blue Ridge Parkway. These public lands, um, you know, don't uh, protect themselves. And so we all need to take an interest in that.